The Old Testament lesson is from Deuteronomy 31, verses 12 through 13. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, as well as the aliens residing in your towns, so that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and to observe diligently all the words of this law, and so that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are crossing over the Jordan to possess. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The New Testament lesson reading for today is from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're going to be real participatory here at the beginning. What is the church? We are the church. Yes, the people. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah. The body of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Lovely, lovely, absolutely. Uh, pretty much sums it up. Now, uh, next question. Um, what in the past, that is, has often led to the growth of the church? Anytime that we've seen the church grow rapidly, what has led to that? What's that? Adversity. Adversity, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts? Outreach. Outreach. Yes. I'm sorry? Witness. Witness. Yes, certainly. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Fair enough. Yeah. Yes, all of these things are true. Uh, And then last question for now. Why do you think that the church, at least in the West, is in decline? That's a bit of a heavier question. We have it too easy. We don't feel like we need each other as much. That's, yes. That's a good word. What's that? Scandal. Scandal? Oh, yeah. There's far too much of that. Yeah, I feel it's not relevant. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Faith and other things. Faith and other things. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, all of these things, everything that we've said in, in all three of these questions are absolutely true. And really, there is a way to uh, simplify all of this down to a single word answer 
for all of these three questions. And that single word answer is community. If we were to ask again that question, what is the church? It's a community. It's a people cooperatively, mutually working together for a common purpose. If we were to ask what has led to the church growing in the past, it has been community. When people rally together, whenever people come to each other's aid, whenever people support one another or are willing to be there in the hardest of times. When we ask why the church is in decline in the West, the answer again is community. Or really it's more of a lack of an emphasis on community. Uh, the church in the West has, we've, we've gotten really good at putting all of our attention on worship. And worship is great, and worship is a huge part of what it means to be uh, in fellowship and church together and growing together. It's important, an important part of the church. But if you were to take a look back at the uh, past uh, 100 years of the church life, it wasn't until we started making the shift and putting all of our attention on worship, that the church started to decline. And the main reason for that is because a lot of church life became a production, and a lot of it is because we lost our authenticity as the church. But ultimately, what it ended up being is there was less of an emphasis on community. So with that kind of prerequisite, all of the other questions I'm going to ask are gonna be pretty easily answered. Uh, so first of all, has anybody here ever done CrossFit? Or something similar? Yeah? Kind of? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I have not. I'm, I'm terrified of stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it freaks me out on uh, multiple different levels. But uh, you can't deny, CrossFit is an enormous movement. Uh, while it was far more of an emphasis you know, about five or eight years ago, it's still a big part. I mean, I see daily on my social media feeds people do, posting about their CrossFit workouts and stuff. I'm like, hey, awesome job. But here's the thing. It's not the exercise that's keeping people going to CrossFit, right? If, if that were the case, our gyms would be fully booked all the time. Uh, it's not the exercise that keeps people going to CrossFit. Anybody know what it is? The community, yes, I told you, these would be easier to answer questions. Yeah, they do a great job of developing a community of accountability and support uh, at, at these CrossFit gyms and doing these workouts. And they support one another and they advocate for one another and they're there for one another at the competitions and all of this stuff. They have really built a powerful community presence in CrossFit. Now, uh, parents out there, question for you. Why do you let your kids participate in sports and clubs and extracurricular activities? So they'll have a group? So have a group? Yeah. Other, other reasons? Community. Community, boom. <laughs> yeah. Are there other things out there too? Other reasons? Learning how to function? Yeah. Uh, for my parents, it was because I don't, I, I need at least a few hours out of each week where I don't have to be the one to put up with Micah. Um, <laughs> uh, in which case, once again, community. It takes a village, right? That expression is a cliche for a reason. Uh, raising a child was never meant to be done by just two people. 
certainly not by one person. Uh, and single parent households are uh, already, I mean, just incredible what parents are able to do. But child raising was never meant to be in, in such an isolated uh, state. It takes a village. It takes a community. And so getting our kids involved in things like sports and clubs and other stuff like that, you know, diversifies their experiences, creates community for them because it takes a village. It takes a community. And then uh, lastly, why have you chosen to live in a city like Mobile or the surrounding area instead of going off and isolating yourselves in the most untouched parts of the earth? Because they don't have Target out there, I get that. The community, yeah. <laughs> the beautiful weather, mm, yeah. The, or unpredictable weather, <laughs> yeah. Less, less Taco Bells out there, that's my reason. Um, yeah, it's because we're social creatures. We gravitate toward one another and we establish ourselves in communities and societies like this because, well, that's how we flourish. And it's a beautiful aspect of who we are as uh, human beings. And, and so what I'm getting at here, if you haven't guessed yet, is that community is so important. In fact, to, to even say that community is so important is probably the greatest understatement I could make today. It's everything. It's all about what we are and who we are and how we exist. It's so important. So here's my next question. If that's the case, and I'm willing to bet you could have guessed that without us going through this whole process. Why are we experiencing an epidemic of loneliness in our world? That's a bit of a harder question to answer. And I'm sure we could point out a few specific things. You know, people, people are much more about their virtual presence than their physical presence these days. Uh, people are distracted by all of these other things that we didn't have, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago or whatever. Uh, we could come up with all different kinds of answers. Uh, but really, it ends up being a whole lot more complicated than that. And I'm going to be honest. I, I'm not trying to really answer that question today. At least not directly. I'd rather answer it indirectly. Instead of asking why we have an epidemic of loneliness in our world today, I'd rather ask the question, what are we going to do about it? Because the why is helpful, but it doesn't change anything. And we as a community of faith are world changers. So let's figure out how we can change a world that is suffering under an epidemic of loneliness. Now, it was this, uh, my, my first awareness of this epidemic of loneliness that got me into the world of mental health care. Um, my own experiences with loneliness and isolation, but also seeing it in other people and how it was affecting uh, my friends and family and other people in the world. And so uh, whenever I started studying in clinical mental health counseling at uh, University of South Alabama, I took it upon myself to come up with a different kind of theory of human existence. And that sounds a lot fancier than it actually was. Um, perhaps even more uh, pretentious is the name that I ended up giving the theory, which is integrative relational harmonics theory. <laughs> which is just a fancy way of saying that we as humans exist in relationship. 
We as humans exist in relationship. We are relational creatures, and we cannot escape that. In fact, we need to nourish that, tend to that, care for that. And so, we, as the church, have a job. We can look out and notice the church is in decline. It just is. It's been, the, the United Methodist Church has been in decline since 1968. That was the, the largest the United Methodist Church has ever been, and it's getting even weirder now. Uh, and we have an epidemic of loneliness in our world, and it's not a recent development necessarily, but the pandemic has certainly made things a whole lot more complicated with that. So, as world changers, as people of the church, people who are transformed by faith, what are we going to do about it? And that's where we get into the conversation on means of grace. So we started this series called Means of Grace last week as a uh, Lenten study to explore what it means to grow in our faith. And means of grace is an expression that John Wesley, the founder of modern-day United Methodism, uh, used instead of what we might more commonly know as spiritual disciplines. And spiritual disciplines is perfectly fine. I prefer the expression means of grace because Wesley identified that these acts, these works, these things that we can do, he called them channels by which we experience and participate in the grace of God. Right? Uh, and so uh, we are able to break these means of grace, means of grace, something like that, <laughs> into uh, four different avenues. Uh, those are individual works of piety, communal works of piety, individual works of mercy, and communal works of mercy. And yes, Wesley was very much a both-and kind of person. He believed in the essential nature of both the individual and the communal in the essential nature of both piety and mercy. Very much a both-and person. And so as we're unpacking this today, we are looking at the communal side of things. Communal piety, to be more specific. And, uh, and last week we talked about individual piety and unpacked it even more during our Lenten lunch. And we'll be unpacking communal piety during our Lenten lunch this week. Um, but I want us to acknowledge that, that while Scripture, as a whole, the whole big book, has main characters that it focuses on, and it does, you know, specific characters that we can remember from the stories. While it has those main characters, the stories are always referring to a community of faith. Take Abraham, for example, right, very early on in the book of Genesis. Abraham is the main character of the story, but the story isn't just about him. It's about his descendants, the people who are coming uh, from him, who are going to be established as this great race of people. Then we can go to Moses, right? Moses is the main character of his story, but it's not just about him. 
We see his journey more than other people's, but it's about the people of Israel who are enslaved in Egypt and are, are uh, rescued by the grace and love of God to take them into the promised land. We then you know, can look at David, uh, if we would like, King David. And yes, his story is pretty prevalent and we get to see God working through him, but it's not just about David's story. His story is just intertwined intrinsically with the nation of Israel. And, you know, we can go through all of the prophets and explore the same thing until we get to Jesus. And Jesus is definitely the main character. And yes, it is all about Jesus. But Jesus isn't the only one in the story. We also have the community of disciples that Jesus chooses to surround himself with. And then we go a little bit further into the New Testament and we get into the letters of Paul. And, you know, as the author of so much of the New Testament, Paul ends up being kind of the main character there. But it's not about him. We see his faith journey more than others, but it's about the churches that he's working with. Scripture is, a, is about the community of faith. And so from that, we can acknowledge that faith is communal. Because we are communal. We're relational creatures. As such, our faith takes hold in relationship, in community. And John Wesley identified this early on and recognized this and established it, that very concept, as the core of what came to be known as the Methodist movement. And so there are two uh, particular communal acts of piety that we're going to be looking at today. The first is called Christian conferencing. Uh, this, doesn't, this isn't necessarily referring to Christians going to conferences like Krista and I are doing later this week. Uh, no, this is more of Christians coming together. And so Wesley used a three-tiered system of Christian conferencing, of people gathering together. The first tier is the one we're probably most familiar with, and it was called the society. And the societies would meet together, and a society meeting is essentially what we have going on here. It's the, uh, the larger group of the people of faith in a community meeting for worship, uh, to, to hear the word uh, be preached, to worship and praise, to return uh, their worship to God. This would, what we're doing right here is considered a society meeting in the eyes of Wesley. We call it something different now, but that's essentially what it is. The second tier uh, is something we're still familiar with, but we don't utilize near often enough. And that is the class meeting. And another expression of a class meeting, this isn't like a, an academic class, you know, whiteboard, smartboard, whatever, and there's a teacher giving a lecture. You know, a class meeting is more similar to our modern day small group, where there would be a, uh, a group of about eight to 12 people. Wesley encouraged it not to get too much larger than 12 people because then it becomes a little bit more of uh, people end up segmenting themselves off automatically if you have more than 12 people. It's an interesting, fascinating aspect of human existence. Uh, but so in class meetings, they would really dive in deeper uh, with one particular question. The question, how is it with your soul? This was a question they would ask in class meetings in order to check in on one another, support one another, encourage one another, help one another grow. And then the third tier of uh, Wesley's Christian conferencing were called band meetings. And unfortunately, this isn't like really cool boy bands getting together and singing songs. Uh, that would be pretty fun. But rather, this is more of uh, groups of about 
three to five, never more than five. In fact, three was ideal, um, never more than five. It was meant to be a very intimate meeting in which they would ask a particular question. Are you ready for this? In what ways have you knowingly sinned since we last met? Can you imagine being asked that question? It's a very intimate question. Like, whoa, back off. That's what they would do in these band meetings. The three to five people, they would ask each other these questions to hold each other accountable. Right? And in and, and, and all of these, the band meetings weren't required. They were voluntary. They were for people who wanted to go deeper in their faith and, and uh, strive for holiness. Class meetings were required. It was required in the Methodist movement that you would be a part of a small group, of a class meeting. In fact, you couldn't really come to the society meetings uh, without being in a class meeting, without being in a small group. And if you did come to a society meeting without being in a small group, they would check you in and say, okay, would you like to join this particular small group? They would make sure you were in a small group. And y'all, that's how the Methodist movement exploded, was because of the small group format. That's what Wesley really emphasized, because he acknowledged that we experience the grace of God when we meet together in personal and intimate settings, whenever we share our faith with one another, whenever we support one another through whatever struggles we have going on. Uh, one of my biggest pet peeves is the fact that we so frequently, whenever we first see someone and say, hi, uh, the next thing we say is, how are you? And you know, the next thing we say after that is, I'm doing fine or I'm good, whatever that might be. And more often than not, it's a lie. Every so often, that's true, uh, and you know, it's fair and good to say that, but we, we're not people who just experience perfection all the time. Life is a struggle, and it's hard, and these class meetings and these band meetings were meant to be where people could share that with each other and support one another and love on one another. So that's Christian conferencing. And if you want to know more about that, uh, I'm going to go ahead and, once again, shamelessly plug uh, Linton Lunges. That's where we're unpacking these things a little bit more deeply, uh, and that's at 11.30 a.m. on Wednesdays. Now, the second means of grace and communal piety that we unpack is corporate study. And uh, the first thing that probably comes to mind are things like Bible studies. And yes, that's pretty much the gist of it. People gathering together to study uh, scripture, to study faith, to study some aspect of, uh, in, in which they were seeking to grow closer to God. And now Bible studies are a form of class meeting or small group, so it fits very well within all of this. Um, but Bible study, uh, you know, we, we talked last week about one of the means of grace and individual piety is studying the scriptures. It wasn't until pretty recent, relatively recent compared to all of human history, that studying scripture ever became a personal thing. For most of human history, to study scripture was to do so in a community because, well, most people couldn't read. So you had to be with the people who could. Most things weren't written down, and so they were shared in story formats for a long time. And the things that were written down or printed uh, and, and uh, weren't done so in mass production facilities, right? 
If you ever seen the Gutenberg printing press, you got to change out every single letter. It takes a lot of work, stamp it down, switch it out. Uh, yeah, they weren't mass producing this stuff, and so it wasn't very widespread. So study of the word was done in the corporate setting. People would gather together to study. And it's so important that we continue to do that. Even though Bible studies come in various forms and various uh, sorts of this, uh, we need to acknowledge that studying theology, and by theology I mean the study of God, which is what we do in Bible study, uh, Christian formation, growing in our faith, does not and cannot happen in isolation. Because theology, Christian formation, faith formation, in isolation leads to arrogance. Because suddenly, all that I'm studying by myself becomes truth. And what I have learned by myself is absolute truth, and there is nobody who can speak a word against it because I have the right saying. Theology, Christian formation, formation, faith journeying, cannot happen in isolation because if so, we end up creating God in our image rather than allowing ourselves to be transformed in the image of Christ. Can you see how that would happen if we're, if we're doing this study by ourselves, only by ourselves, mind you? Studying scripture by ourselves is an important part of the faith journey, but if it's only by ourselves and never in a corporate setting, never doing it together, then guess what? God starts to look a lot more like me and a lot less like love because I'm putting all of my perspective onto the page and reading it through only my lens. And I have no other perspective through which to glean scripture. And so God ends up looking way too much like me. This is why Bible study in the corporate setting is so essential. We study together to gain new perspectives, to grow by being challenged. Yes, that's important. And to encourage one another. And, and really, I want to emphasize that growing by being challenged. Going back to the whole CrossFit thing, uh, you know, what, whatever kind of exercise you would like, how do muscles grow or get strengthened? By being challenged, yeah. There's a physical tearing that happens within muscles. Not like a really dramatic. If it's dramatic, you know, you might need surgery. Uh, but there's an actual tearing and strain that happens in muscles uh, in order for them to grow and strengthen and get stronger. The same needs to be true with us. We need to be challenged. We need, things, we need people to push back against us and say, I see what you're saying, but have you thought about it this way? So that's another thing that, uh, that I begrudge social media for is because it creates an echo chamber. And we end up getting so lost in the opinions and perspectives of people who think exactly like us. And that's not the way that we grow. That's the way that we stagnate and get stuck in our own views and opinions. Communal study allows us to get further and deeper and experience what God has for us in the wider perspective. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll kind of give this old Buddhist proverb to you as a way to understand. A group of uh, blind men, it's always men in these proverbs, a group of blind men are taken to an elephant, and they're each asked to reach out and describe the elephant. And one reaches out and grabs the tail and says, an elephant is like a rope. 
Another reaches out and grabs the leg of an elephant and says, an elephant's like the trunk of a tree. Another reaches out and grabs the ear of an elephant and says, an elephant is basically a strap of leather. And, you know, on and on they go. Uh, and they're all, they're all saying true things, but they don't have the full picture until they all contribute their perspective to it. And by combining their perspective, they actually get to the whole. Theology is very much like this as well. We all have a different perspective, something different that we're going to see, and it's by uniting our perspectives that we start to get the greater picture. So, with all of this, and you know, once again, I need to say that community is essential in our faith journey. So in all of this, my challenge for you this week and for forever is get plugged in. Get plugged into a community. Here at the church, out and about, you know, whatever. I would love for you to do it right here with our church, but I, I, more, uh, more importantly, I prefer that you just get plugged in some way, somehow. And if you're not sure where to start, uh, I had a whole list of announcements earlier this morning. That'll be a great place. We've got something going on uh, every single week, something that you can do to get plugged in. And guess what? If those don't meet your schedule, or if those don't work out for you, uh, or if you have a different idea, let me know. I want to start that. I want us to be doing that for you because chances are there are other people in the community who could use that as well. But my challenge for you is simply get plugged in because we need community. We need Christian conferencing. We need corporate study. We need to grow in our faith together, not in isolation. Let us pray.